the mental noise of everything that was going on with lockdowns and whatnot there were definitely <laughs> i i hope my publisher won't listen to this podcast but there were definitely some months where we didn't get any work done at all the end result of what we were doing was getting better but i didn't feel myself necessarily improving as a designer or as a writer or artist or whatever else i did on the game just because there was nothing really to validate it during development our first bit of external validation i think was when we announced the game through a nintendo indie direct and apparently they liked bear and breakfast so much that they decided to include the first ever showing of this game in that showcase which was absolutely wild to us we couldn't believe it we hit the launch button i couldn't watch any streams i couldn't do anything i just literally got up from my desk and went and had a nap the adrenaline came from so many people contacting us and a lot of them with positive things to say. Beer and Breakfast has, what, 31k followers on Twitter, is rated very positive on Steam with over 1,500 reviews. People are making fan art, you've got an incredible community, you're selling merch. Do you feel like a game developer yet? <laughs> okay, so right after the game launch, I still didn't. Now maybe. Hey everybody, welcome to the Becoming a Creator podcast. I am joined by Rarish. Um, I will pronounce it as, as best I can throughout this episode. It's a pleasure to have him on. He's the founder of Gummy Cat, who created the game Bear and Breakfast, which if you're not familiar with it, I highly recommend you check it out. It's super fun. We're going to talk a lot about game development, getting into game development. I'm really excited to have you on. I know a lot of our team are big fans of the game as well. So I'm looking forward to diving in with you today. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's great to be here. So the first thing we like to do when we go into these episodes is just a couple of rapid fires. Get us warmed up. Get a chance to take a breath. The adrenaline every day. There's like a fire. There's excitement. It's like so many emotions all the time. I think for the first two weeks, it was we were just running on pure adrenaline and nothing else. And this is a good problem to have, let's say, just because the adrenaline came from so many people contacting us and uh, a lot of them with positive things to say, a lot of them with not so positive things to say because there were some bugs which we had to fix and we were, we dive straight into bug fixing after like the launch party. We're like, yay, we launched our first game and oh no, it's broken. Let's fix it. Who's your favorite and least favorite character in the game? That's a tricky question because I wrote the majority of the game and Hank is the main character who's the bear, who's the orange bear that you've been seeing everywhere, I guess. Maybe halfway through writing the game, I realized that Hank is definitely me and I'm writing myself. So it's kind of a no-brainer that I like Hank the most. I think the least favorite character didn't make it in. We have maybe a handful, like maybe up to four or five characters that we had like already made art for and whatnot that didn't actually make it in. I would say maybe, I can't say because it would be a spoiler for the end of the story, but one of the characters that you meet later in the game, one of the characters who's very dramatic and maybe people who've played it will know. You mentioned, you know, you did a lot of the writing in the game. What is your favorite line that you wrote? Hank talks to all of the animals and they can understand each other, but there's also human characters. And when Hank talks to most of the human characters, like, he's a bear. He would make bear noises. So what I did was there's a text that would 
let the player know what the option is, whether it's saying yes, no, or whatever. But when you actually select it, what Hank does is he says, and it writes bear noises. And these bear noises can be like uh, suspenseful bear noises, happy bear noises, sad bear noises. But it's probably one of my favorite things that I <laughs> figured out how to handle and how to add because people are really happy because it gives me the opportunity to even insert little character moments. For instance, there's a moment where someone is complimenting Hank and he doesn't really know how to take a compliment. So he gives an answer and the text just writes, cannot take a compliment, bear noises. <laughs> and <laughs> and people have been sending me that like all, all month and it's been great. I love that. Does that relate to you? Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> the process of developing and building anything there's always sacrifices that you have to make along the way i think that's especially true in game development was there one thing that you wanted to get in but just didn't work out like a very short answer would be fishing as a mini game just because mm. it's it was almost expected like why isn't there fishing in a game about a bear that's a little bit life simish instead of adding it in a very simple way we just decided not to have it and maybe add it later if we can with i don't know a design that maybe works better with how people are playing the game rather than trying to make a mini game just for the sake of it well we're warmed up a little bit and i do want to get deeper oh, yeah. uh, and i want to i want to talk about your journey into game dev as you know, this podcast is brought to you by Pipeline. And before we dive into this week's episode, I wanted you to meet a few members of the Pipeline community. My name's Chadwick. I've been streaming for a little over two years, been a member of Pipeline for that long as well. I joined Pipeline before I even ever started streaming, and I really do believe in it. I don't think I'd be anywhere close to where I am if I was even streaming at all, if not for everything I've learned here. Hey, I'm Nicknax94, a Facebook gaming partner and a Pipeline member for eight months. Joining Pipeline gave me the chance to invest in my dream, to learn and build confidence, and really to become a better content creator but also to meet like-minded creators through the Discord community. Hey guys, I'm a moment with Alex, Pipeline member for just about two years. One of my favorite moments as a Pipeline community member is getting to listen to the mountains of knowledge that Stone and Snoopy have in group mentorship sessions and being able to talk about it further with other community members live during those sessions. You heard it from our members first. If that resonates with you, I encourage you to sign up for a free trial with the link below. You can cancel at any time. This offer is a podcast exclusive. Consider this your invitation to level up as a creator. A lot of people that are listening to this podcast are aspiring content creators or fans of the game, as, as we learned from Mallory and, and the rest of the team. They might want to either work in the games industry, and a big part of that could be game development. There's so many facets to game development. You can get involved. How did your journey begin? You, know, you started in corporate advertising, and you did some volunteering at GDC. Can you share more about like the kind of evolution of your journey? So before game dev, you're right, it was advertising for a long, long time. At the time, it felt really smart because I wanted to do something artistic. I had some proficiencies in stuff like Photoshop just because I grew up with it. It felt like, oh, this is the perfect industry. I can make money and also be creative. I'm not giving up anything. Little did I know, little did 19-year-old me know that I was giving up my soul. Yeah, to anyone listening in the advertising industry, I'm sorry. You just got this reality check a little bit sooner. <laughs> this is my personal experience. I'm sure there's people who are very happy in the advertising industry. I put game development as on this pedestal that I could never reach because I didn't start out doing programming. The story I was hearing all around me was, oh, I made 100 Flash games before, and uh, that's how eventually my 101 
was okay and now I'm a game developer. And instead, I found events, which are kind of like adjacent to game development. They rely on a lot of the skills that you could maybe use as a developer. Volunteering for GDC was one of the first things I did when they came to Europe. I was lucky enough to organize sort of a smaller conference, but in the same vein as GDC in Vienna, which was like a East, East and Central Europe games conference or something like that. It was pretty small. It was kind of a semi-student, semi-volunteer thing, but we got pretty big and we did it for a couple of years at least. During those conferences that I helped organize, I met a developer from Romania, where I'm from, a developer called Those Awesome Guys. And we got to talking and he wasn't a solo dev, but it was a very small team and they weren't prepared, I guess, for this kind of success. So we kind of hit up a little bit of a friendship and he eventually hired me. And that kind of grew, like that was my first step into game development, which then turned into a huge snowball where I eventually did marketing and development. Eventually, after four years of that is when I kind of went into my first, okay, I've tried this for a little bit. Let's try to actually make a game from scratch. I don't know if it's the confidence or the ignorance or the stupidity or whatever it was that made you go, I'm going to start something from scratch. It was really bad confidence combined with, I guess, like at least a little bit of privilege because I thought this is super easy. Like there's money floating all around. There's publishers and investors throwing money because this industry is growing. You can just come up with a good idea put a pitch together and just do it. So it was the right amount of stupid confidence and naivete that let me actually pitch it and get super incredibly lucky enough for someone to pick us up to actually give us a chance to do it. I love that. Talking about, you know, some of that ignorance, I was reading about this programmer who was initially hired to help you build out game and they totally <laughs> scammed you guys. Oh yeah. <laughs> you were able to get it like kind of resolved, but how did that impact you that, you know, right at the beginning of your journey? We initially figured out like a prototype and the pitch deck for the game in a team of three people. By the time we were done pitching it and actually found a publisher, the programmer that helped us build the prototype wasn't available anymore. They had to move on. They had to find a job to sustain themselves so they couldn't actually come back and work on the project. So we were kind of, we had a pitch, we had a publisher that was interested, but we didn't have a programmer. So we put out an ad, we knew that we would have resources to pay them and everything would be good. It would be legit. Romania has a lot of very, very good programmers, but finding someone that would actually fit the team was harder than I thought, especially because we weren't really anyone. We, we didn't have any games out. We were just like a couple of people trying to do something. So we found this programmer. He seemed like he knew what he was doing. We actually went and had dinner all together and kind of shook hands, signed contracts and everything. This new programmer stopped replying anywhere, like no messages, no emails, no anything. We had a phone number that he like wouldn't answer. And first we thought, oh no, something happened. We thought about the worst. And after maybe a week or so, I started looking into the email address that I have set up for him in Google, which... Uh, is like the whole part of the domain found that he had set up through Google services servers where he deployed crypto miners and racked up around eight or nine hundred dollars worth of fees from Google for using the servers. We lost complete contact. We just I sent him a last email saying, hey, here you go. The contract's voided. We we're super lucky that 
Google agreed to not make us pay the $800 or whatever, because we explained the situations, we explained the fraud, we showed them the contract or whatever, and they were super okay with it. But it really put us on the back foot. Luckily, through the interview process where we actually hired the person, the second one that we didn't pick was still available and is now the lead programmer and has been an incredible actual person to find and to work with. And I'm very happy that it actually turned out into something super positive. Yeah, blessing in disguise. The game's was in development for three years. Uh, and I think it's, it's just so tempting to focus on the now where like there's all this you know overwhelming joy and good feedback and things, but there really was a process that went into this. Yes. And it, not only that, it was done in the pandemic where oh, yeah. there's a lot going on in the world. Uh, there's a lot of isolation. You're trying to get this team and company off the ground. How were you being able to you know balance your mental health versus pouring your heart and soul and like all of your creative spirit into a game because it demands so much creativity. It was tough. We were, again, extremely privileged because we signed the contract and everything was in place right before the pandemic hit, which meant we had at least job security as long as we kept working on the game and met, meeting our milestones. We weren't suddenly in danger of losing our jobs or losing our livelihoods or whatnot. So for from that perspective, we were super lucky. February 2nd of 2020, when we uh, actually like signed the lease for the new offices and moved our, all, all our stuff in and started working. And I think we had maybe like a month worth of work in that office. And we just started getting things off the ground and it was super cool. And then March came around and everything. And it was actually very, very hard to do all of that and have to go through another thing that kind of take the wind off, out of our sails and then make a game where like at least half the team had never really made a game from scratch. I learned the Unity engine for the first time while making this game. Through the pandemic and through the mental noise of everything that was going on with lockdowns and whatnot, there were definitely, <laughs> I, I hope my publisher won't listen to this podcast, but there were definitely some months where we didn't get any work done at all. We started our company in a similar time and remote, and it's just a challenging to navigate. You mentioned that you felt you were never good enough to make a video game. Yeah. Um, you had some experience, but like you weren't the guy, right? You never, you didn't build a hundred apps. Yep. You were learning Unity while building the game. How did your sure. confidence and abilities grow through the actual doing, like the creating of the game? The end result of what we were doing was getting better, but I didn't feel myself necessarily improving as a designer or as a writer or artist or whatever else I did on the game just because there was nothing really to validate it during development. Our first bit of external validation, I think, was when we announced the game through a Nintendo indie direct. And apparently they liked Bear and Breakfast so much that they decided to include the first ever showing of this game in that showcase, which was absolutely wild to us. We couldn't believe it. I think it was the first game from Romania to ever get showcased in, in an indie world. I might be mistaken, but that is at least absolutely awesome. At least get what announced. A milestone. Yeah. So that was the first bit of external validation, which really gave us a little bit of a hint of we're actually really making something here. We might have something. It's very early, but there might be something to do here. Is there any advice you would give to creators that are who you know, don't think they're good enough. And honestly, they might not at this particular moment in time, they might not be good enough per se. 
and they're kind of building the craft. Is there any advice you would have for them as they're navigating that? Like, I'm not the first person to say this, but just keep going. Just do it and then and then keep going. It's not what I did because I didn't try out a bunch of different small games before making my first big one, quote unquote. But throughout the development process, I did basically that for a lot of the things. I've never written a video game before. I've only read the dialogues in other video games. And my brain said, I like that. I want to try that. And I tried my own way of doing it and made a lot of mistakes until that at the very end, I had something that I was happy with. And that was maybe, maybe this is the advice. Maybe the true thing is do it because the first time it'll never be good. Trust yourself that if you keep working on it, it will eventually be good. There's a super good quote from a man called Dan Harmon that, that I really like, which is, we all suck at doing things, or at least we think that we all suck at doing things, but we're all amazing at criticizing things. So just do something, anything, and then criticize it until it's good. I love that. You mentioned like the cutting board and Beyond Breakfast was set to release on both Nintendo and the PC at the same time. But unfortunately, you know, the Switch was was delayed. You mentioned it was like a pretty difficult decision to make that. Did you ever think about just going, fuck it, we're just going to ship it and we'll fix it after the fact? Oh, there were definitely moments like that. That was not the first delay, actually. The first public delay was a year ago, I think. Because Baron Breakfast was originally slated for 2021. We had a demo out through like a Steam Fest or something like that. And a lot of people played it. And we got really, really good feedback and really good reactions. And we realized that people played the demo. And that's pretty much all we have right now in terms of content. We're supposed to ship this game in a couple of months. We're not going to be able to do it. We need more time to finish the content. So that was the first delay, I'd say. And then the, the second delay with the Switch came in at a very different time because we were... A year later, after working our collective butts off on all of this, and at the end of the day, we had the the two decisions of just saying, fuck it, just ship it with a virtual cursor that's going to feel garbage to control, but we'll fix it later, versus we were <laughs> playing the game with a controller in hand, and just like, it, this, this feels horrible. We can't serve this to someone. Like, we can't... Uh, it might still feel horrible after we ship it with the... Con the controller work that we've done, but at least we'll feel like we did our best. The 28th of July finally came after three years, many roadblocks, a little pandemic, lots of crunch that you're not proud of. When that moment came and it was released into the world, you can give your baby, as it were, to the world. Can you describe what that feeling was like? Oh man, yeah, it was... When we launched that demo in 2021, we hit the launch button or whatever. I couldn't watch any streams. I couldn't do anything. I just literally got up from my desk and went and had a nap. I think it was like a combination of shame because I knew there were parts of the game that weren't perfect, even though it was a free small demo, whatever. I couldn't really watch people judge my work. It was very, very hard. It was very hard judging my writing, judging the fact that I put a lot of myself in Hank and the story, I guess, uh, and my work in general. And then a year later when we launched, it didn't feel like that anymore because I felt a lot happier with what I had created. I didn't feel like, oh, there's so many loose ends that I know a lot of people won't like or whatever. Because we put in so much extra effort and extra time to get it right, that rewarded us with the peace of mind that we were happy with what we had created, no matter the outcome. We were expecting some amount of goodwill because, I don't know, some metrics, I guess, told us that, but we weren't expecting it like that. And it was 
one of those nights where I didn't sleep for 24 hours, but did feel like it was worth doing the effort to make it good enough for us. I love that. Talking about you know, looking back and have the benefit of hindsight, is there anything that you do differently throughout the whole process? Or do you feel like it was important that you learn those you know, mistakes or lessons throughout? The main thing that I'd change is every time we had to do something revolving crunch, which was basically an effect of poor management on my part, anything that had to do with making someone on the team suffer. I don't know if suffer is the good word, but working overtime, working extra hard because of lack of experience or whatever, the, it doesn't really matter. But putting people in that situation is something that I never want to do again. And I wish I didn't do from the start. If you want to keep doing more than one game and have a, a clear conscience and in general, just don't feel like you failed the people that were relying on you, then that's the, definitely the one thing that I would change. Otherwise, the, the things that we've learned, optimizing the game perfectly, not doing that kind of save system or whatever, those are things that are inevitable and you just you grow through. I'm so excited for you and just the future game, not just for this game, the future games. I want to end with like, Bear and Breakfast has what, 31K followers on Twitter is rated very positive on Steam with over 1,500 reviews. People are making fan art. You've got an incredible community. You're selling merch. Do you feel like a game developer yet? <laughs> okay, so right after the game launch, I still didn't. Now, maybe a little bit. After going through the process of hot fixing the game and taking a save file from a player that had a corrupted thing and fixing it and giving it, giving it back to them and then being like, oh my God, that's incredible. Thank you. Now I kind of feel like a game developer. <laughs> yes. Well, I think everyone listening would agree that you deserve a nice long holiday, you and the team. But outside of that, is there anything that you're looking forward to within the next couple of months? Maybe a month somewhere deep inside a forest with no internet <laughs> and just a bed. That's that's what I'm looking forward to. Well, you absolutely deserve it. Radish, thank you so much for joining. This was phenomenal. And I just love getting to learn more about the process that really goes into building the game, especially with such a small team. So thank you. I'm looking forward to checking out the game. Everyone listening should go check it out if they haven't already. Thanks for having me. It's been really great. Be sure to like, comment, and rate the show. We love to hear from you. Happy streaming, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. I wanted to just end this with a little bit of context on why we do what we do. We're former content creators ourselves, and we just really want to help as many content creators as we can. That's why we started Pipeline.gg. It's a platform where you can find other like-minded creators and learn from the pros who have already been there. Get step-by-step -step guidance so you can avoid all the mistakes that we made in the beginning. If you love the episode, there's going to be even more inside of Pipeline. So check it out. Head over to Pipeline.gg.